Hello and welcome along to the Unplugged Pods, where each week we explore absolutely everything to do with switching off in a world that's always on. I'm David and alongside me as ever is Mr. Unplugged, Hector Hughes. And today we're joined by James Roycroft Davis. James is a serial founder and now the founder of the mental health startup Baseline. Hope you enjoy. The James. Hello. Thank you so much for coming along to the Unplugged Pod. Really appreciate your time, of course. Uh, let's start by, by asking the big question, the toughest question. How do you unplug? I was thinking about this on the train because you asked me to think about it today. And I actually don't have a set place that I unplug in. I unplug in certain moments now throughout the day. And... I was listening to Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. I am that guy who listens to Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. And I was like, this makes a ton of sense. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, well, suspected adhd also with bipolar. How do you unplug from that? Like, <laughs> it's fucking hard work. So now I'm like, well, I unplug in moments of the gym. I unplug on my daily dog walks. I unplug on my three-minute ice baths every morning. I unplug in the sauna. Um, and generally speaking, I don't put pressure on myself to like unplug other than when I get locked in a cabin in the woods. And that is quite a nice way to unplug, I think. So that is how I unplug multiple multiple ways across the day not putting pressure on it and just going fuck it see where it goes and talk to us about the ice bath because that that seems to have become quite a big thing for you and you know it seems like you've got a huge amount of benefit out of so when did that all start and what does that look like this is quite a funny story actually so december the 23rd last year uh 2020 what was last year 23 yeah 22 I was down in Bournemouth with my family and there was about 10 of us on the beach <clears throat> walking the dog. And I looked at the sea and I was like, I'm going to get in. And I literally stripped off no, no towel, like no preparation, nothing. Stripped off to my boxers, almost naked and got in the sea. And I shouted to my wife, time me for three minutes I just stood in the sea and my mum was like he's lost his head like I hadn't even been diagnosed bipolar then <laughs> and so she had no idea but she was like fuck what's it what's wrong with my dad was horrified so I stood and I just shut my eyes and I just started to breathe and when I came out I cannot tell you that feel. I'd never done it before and I cannot tell you that feeling of coming out and um my body, whole body was tingling. My brain felt clear. And my fingers were burning. And that was the first time I got into any sort of cold water. Then after that, I went home, back to the house. And I bought an ice bath there and then. And it arrived about a week later. I filled it up and I refused to get in it on the first time and my wife was like you've just spent 400 fucking quid on this what are you doing and so i d- i done that classic um like wim hof there's a guy on um there's a guy on tiktok who's jay alderton he's like he's a very very good looking like 40 year old man i must admit and he's like one of those guys who's like sets his watch creates content like six o'clock get in the ice bath i did that the first time i looked at it and i was like i'm not getting in that fuck that my wife did. My wife was the first person to get in it. And then from then on in, it's just been this love affair of trying to overcome the mental challenge of getting in three, two, one degree water every day. And once you get in, you breathe. It is the most, it's the most unbelievable feeling. You've, been, you've done it, right? And have you done it? Uh, yeah. yeah. And I'm addicted. It's an addiction. 
because afterwards you feel incredible. Better than sex sometimes. <laughs> Addicted to ice baths. Addicted in in a sense that I'm not going to do it five times a day, but I'll do it every day. What, and when do you do it? Morning. I no. I go for my dog walk. I warm up and then I get in it because I will never get in it first thing. I actually got I got Brass Monkey. Brass Monkey sent me a, an ice bath as a kind of sponsorship collaboration on content, and that water was 0.2 degree. Getting in that was the hardest thing I've done. I went for a swim in the Hampstead Heath Lido in March last year, and it was 10 degrees, and it was fucking freezing, honestly. Oh, my God. We've got an event, 21st of January. Come along. Hampstead Heath Lido. Okay, mate, that'll be cold. Uh, Lots of us going down. It's four degrees at the moment. It's amazing. Come down, we've got the event. So I set up a cold water club, as you do, and basically... the. The story goes that in February last year, I started posting, got loads of traction on LinkedIn. Loads of people reaching out going, I've just, like, love your content, all this kind of shit. It was, it was, because I remember, it was basically you in a bin wearing a swimming hat every day. That was basically the content, wasn't it? So, this is when I had nothing to do. My (laughs) startup, I'd exited my startup and it basically then failed, right? So, I had nothing to do. I was sat there basically depressed going what else do i do then so i just literally sat in my ice bath selling sponsorship to companies and giving it to charity for weeks <laughs> and trying to work out what the fuck i wanted to do in my life and um and then in february i was sat in the sauna ironically and i was like at the gym and i was like i'm gonna start a cold water community because i don't know i want the people who've reached out to me on LinkedIn to come together. <laughs> Within like a week, I had like 120 people in 15 different countries. Like people in fucking Bali and Brazil sending pictures of them in cold water going, this this is great, but actually it's not really turned out the way I wanted it to do because there's nowhere I can monetize things in 15 different countries. I can't just sell one bloke in Brazil and go, hey, Want to do an event with on your own? <laughs> so, yeah, I, that is now more centralised. We've got 170 people in that c- community. We have monthly events in London. We're trying to do a few outside of London. But the cool thing about that is we've got members now in Finland and Iceland who regularly post about their, like, wicked stuff. Like, they're, like, carving out ice and going into, like, minus one degree water. And the pictures are insane. Uh, somebody swimming in Siberia recently. I was like, Jesus. So, yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. And I think you should put some baths in some of your cabins or next next to it. That makes tons. Because that is just like so epic. So epic. There's There's a guy in Finland as well who like jumps into pools of very cold water with like two axes yeah yeah i've well. seen that yeah 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 probably, probably mean, not essential mean, for means about experience. like fundraising at series a right now with him <laughs> <laughs> i was like yes that's very apt you, you said how it feels physically right you talked about like your fingers and like how, how all yeah. those kind of physical sensations are there any emotional feelings there or is the point that there aren't any because you're I, so connected to your body i mean you've done it like the the point is that there's fuck all going through your head other than just breathe and stay alive that's about you're really getting back to basics there what makes you keep going back though because i did it and i thought wow that was a cold fun experience i don't think i'll be doing that again but so to then take it to this is something i'm addicted to i'm going to do every day the rest of my life those are you didn't say that but that's kind of don't what, put words in my what, what, what I clear, <laughs> i'm a journalist so like uh, <laughs> don't write stories um <laughs> No. I'm addicted to ice baths. Yeah. Is the, uh... <laughs> Said dickhead on podcast. <laughs> um, what it, the the fee the feeling like the, the dopamine release afterwards? You get like three x, five x sometimes, and it's like it's like having like low level cocaine running through your system for a few hours afterwards. Really is amazing. That's what I I keep going back to. Is I also know that. I like to like biohack very like mildly, not anybody who's like counting calories or like or like biohacking with the like blood work, etc. Although I'm going for a blood test in a sec, but um but 
I, th- I, I know that if I do it consistently enough for a long period of time, I should see some physiological benefits. Like right now I can't like, although my, I would say my body fat has dropped a little bit. Maybe that's going to the gym and not boozing, but, um, but I think there will be some physiolog- physiological benefits, but I have no biomarkers right now to prove that. So I'm just going on Andrew Huberman. But even if there aren't, does it matter? No, fuck it, I like it. Yeah, and I guess it, it also makes you turn up better for the rest of the day, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's like, if you've done that really hard thing, you didn't want to do How long are you long. meditating for? Because last time we met <laughs> at, where did we meet? Bond Street Station yeah. for a coffee. You were meditating for like four days at a time. <laughs> I, was, I was doing a lot of meditation. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do 45 minutes in the morning and then I sometimes do half an hour in the evening. So yeah, so there's it's no, it's no different, is it? Yeah. I don't meditate because I just struggle to know how to meditate. Yeah. Yeah, it's all these That's things. That's something I've like, asked you about. How can I learn? I, I think it's always crazy when people are like, I have not got time to do this. It's like I haven't got time to sit down and meditate for 10 minutes or get a nice bath for three minutes. And it's like you're spending, you're frittering away 12 hours a day or, or whatever it is. And actually, if you do this one thing, you might turn up better for, for all of that. So yeah, big, big believer in that. I, I also think that bipolar was a massive turning point in my life because... I very much was of the kind of opinion that I could just bumble through life and physically and mentally bumble through life and go to the gym, yeah, but other than that, I could booze and I could take coke sometimes, like, you know. But bipolar's changed that because I know I now can't and I've seen the differences when I am drinking or, like, have a line of coke on a night out you know the days after are complete carnage (laughs) and that never used to happen and with bipolar you really really do yes you're taking meds for it but you also have to have this quite strict routine of wellness to look after yourself so for example i am in bed by nine i'm asleep by half past nine most people our age never do that (laughs) right i will gym once a day or at least four times a week if not five and i will spend two hours in the gym i'll lift weights cardio then i'll spend an hour in the sauna uh they got cold plunge at the gym so i'm sometimes doing it twice a day um and i know that that keeps me grounded um my diet is much better my i've like massively massively reduced my booze intake and that I wouldn't have done if I didn't have a bipolar diagnosis. And I then looked at myself and went, I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing this for my wife. And also I'm having a baby in six weeks. Like my life is going to change dramatically. But for me to be on an even keel and to support everybody involved mentally and physically, I need to be in a really good place all the time or try to be. And talk to us about bipolar because you diagnosed fairly recently, but presumably it's something that that you kind of now recognise has has shown up at various points through your growing up and and through your life so far. Not growing up, actually. Um, The last five years is when it's kind of reared as... I speak... So my my psychiatrist is... And I don't know whether we've spoken about this, but my psychiatrist only works with entrepreneurs. <laughs> I that was obviously by choice, right? So I chose that. But how do they make any money? <laughs> yeah. It's fucking expensive. That's why I'm so building baseline to try and bypass a bit of psychiatry. Yeah. That's probably why they all these yeah. therapies are spending yeah. so much yeah. on there. Yeah, all of my all of my money's going into that. <laughs> but entrepreneurship is a big trigger. So, so, so talk us through that. What, what got you into entrepreneurship? When, when did that all start? I got made redundant from a startup called Streepies <laughs> and thought, fuck it, I'm going to start a company because fuck you, which is no, you should never do that. Like, it doesn't give you a huge amount of drive to, to actually succeed. And then um, I co-founded my first company with my mum and you should never do that as well. So in the space of about two weeks, I'd done everything you shouldn't do in entrepreneurship. And then... We actually built a great business. I mean, that's doing three and a half million ARR this year. I'm always amazed by that. 
Um, Does your mum still run it? Yeah. Does it? Okay, fair play. Yeah, I stepped away because I couldn't work with my mum. And then I rescued a dog in 2021 at the height of COVID. Couldn't find a dog trainer for him. And he was an eight-year-old Alaskan Malamute who is a hell of a handful, I must admit. And tried to find a dog trainer, couldn't. Thought, this is weird. I'll build it, fine. Started Luna. Um, <laughs> and two years later, we built a SaaS enabled marketplace, although we really only touched upon the SaaS side, um, which was a big mistake. I've got so many regrets. We can go on, you'd need a whole other podcast on that. Um, and then started to feel this, and this comes into entrepreneurship because I started to feel this. I basically built two companies in hypermanic episodes, and hypermanic episodes are like when you've you've got like it's like being on a very very fast train every day, but you're not on the train, and you're very very energized all the time. I was w- waking up at half past four five o'clock. I'd work until nine p.m solidly wouldn't even touch the sides do it all again i believed i was like steve jobs as well and then there's very 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 grandiose sense of self which i'm not steve jobs (laughs) i wish i was and and then you make all these impulsive decisions along the way and impulsivity is a big part of the condition which is why i'm educated for it and financially is a big one it's why um with bipolar a lot of the impulsivity is financial which gets people into debt which is why they then kill themselves um and you've got reduced life expectancy of 20 years it's it's, it's like it's, it's a really painful and savage illness as i'm learning i think i'm okay though <laughs> but i'm one of the like 0.1 percent i think where i'm very high functioning and but also I've got a real grip on the research and, and what this is doing to me and why. Anyway, so yeah, I built these two, com- I built these two companies hypermanic hyper phases and inevitably there is a, a, like a depressive episode. And in 2020, after the f- I left the first company, I tried to kill myself twice. And I was in this hole, this awful, brutal hole where I was like, experiencing psychosis i was on the train like hearing shit and it was really unpleasant and then in 2021 uh 2022 the same same thing happened end of 2022 when i left luna i exited took some cash away handed over to andy a ceo resigned to shareholders basically i was just I, i couldn't i was in this such a deep hole that i literally couldn't function and then over that new year, I was with all of my mates at a hotel um, celebrating New Year. And at the table, I was just hearing, like, the again, the same voices coming back. I just burst into tears in front of everybody. And it was like, what the fuck is wrong with you, <laughs> basically? And I was like, I didn't know because I wasn't diagnosed. I just knew that there was just bad shit going on. And that really led me into the diagnosis in March where... I'd actually gone to, you know, Janos. I'd gone to Janos's place in Austria. And after I'd had the psychosis, I basically said to Abby on the drive home from Devon, I was like, I need to get away and go and spend a few days in the Austrian mountains, I think, with Janos and just relax. So I did. I literally booked a flight then. Um, we did an exercise there where I detailed the, my life on a graph in particular detailed the last five years and this graph was like this of the highs and lows like most people are like that i was like up there that it was i looked at it i just burst into tears and i was like this is not depression oh i was misdiagnosed depression in 2020 this isn't just depression like i can't be having these insane highs and feeling like like i I launched in 2020 i helped alistair campbell launch a book on depression because I started a podcast and it did really, really well. And I know Alistair. So literally this was in a studio on TV. And I was in a hypermanic episode there. Because when I came back, 
I went into Sainsbury's and tried to literally buy the whole store. And I can't really remember it. I was with Abby and she was like, what the fuck are you doing? I was literally going around the whole store, putting everything in baskets. We've got to get this, we've got to get this, got to get it. It's like, it's insane. So it's only when you do that exercise and you realize that your life is either up there and you're having these like delusions or you're down there and you're having psychosis and like wanting to basically kill yourself, having suicidal thoughts every single day that I had to go and find a psychiatrist. Problem was, I then went to the GP who basically said, nah, 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 you got depression. I was like, fuck off. <laughs> Just keep having your meds, sertraline. The problem is sertraline makes bipolar worse. So it makes you go higher. So he was prescribing me more drugs, which were making me worse. All I wanted to do was stop that, go see a psychiatrist. So then he referred me to a psychiatrist we're going to take 11 months to see. And I was like, I can't keep taking meds that make me worse. And also I need psychiatric help. And I was like, fuck it, I'll go private. Private costs a lot. £500 an hour. £250 for 30 minutes. But I'm very, very lucky I've got supportive parents because they have paid for my psychiatric bill, which has probably run up to about 10 grand now. And within half an hour, he diagnosed me with type 2 bipolar affective disorder. And I was kind of like in this daze, like, what the fuck is that? Um, and he explained the condition, etc. He prescribing medication which is lithium which is sounds a bit more vulgar and sinister than it is um i i think my reaction to the psychiatrist was am i gonna be sucking batteries for the rest of my life and he was like no it's a pill don't worry and then he gave me two sheets of paper my wife was there as well and he turned around and i turned around to her and i was like is this it like i've got so many questions what and then he was like see you in a week that's it for private and public psychiatric care. We'll see you in a week. And then when we go and see you, we'll talk about what's happened in the last week for three quarters of the session. There's no data. There's no education. There's no support. There's no community. There's no predictive analysis, etc. And that's when I was like, I need to solve this. And that's when I started baseline because baseline is everything I wanted. Like a 24 seven companion where I can ask it anything predictive insights where I plug in my wearables and through that LLM, we can predict based on your data, whether you're going to have an episode or not. Um, and bring in the same level of analysis for my wife. Who's got another app to see, to tell them, help them know what to do in certain situations with a link into my psychiatrist Love and it. that's my life story God. <laughs> and ju just quickly on that um thank you very much for sharing what's the difference between type 2 bipolar and type 1 and type 2 is where you have more depressive episodes um i'm more of a depressive lovely um Type one is where you actually have like full on mania. Mania typically is where you are hospitalized. Often people kill themselves because they jump off buildings. They think they can fly. Uh, they might think they're a Roman emperor and they start walking around like a Roman emperor. Um, uh, who did I speak to? Re I spoke to one of our users who's, whose dad is type one and they woke up in the middle. Uh, they woke, woke up one morning and his dad had emptied the entire kitchen onto the floor, eat like all the food, plates, everything, smashed it all up, started drawing on the walls. This is while they're asleep. So I drawing on the walls, like satanic writing, and then just stopped and went back to bed. And they woke up in the morning. It was like, don't know what that is. Crazy. There's Mad. a, there's a great book um, for anyone interested in uh, reading more about it called Burn Rate, which is yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, autobiography of a guy called Andy Dunn who runs a 
company in the US called Bonobos, which is a trouser company that, that sold to Walmart. But it's about his startup journey and, and journey with, I think, Taiwan Bipolar. And he, he would go through these kind of crazy, like three, four day, you know, manic episodes where he would think he's the Messiah, just kind of walking around. And yeah, it's, it's really frightening, but... but um, and, and the worst, do you know what book. the crazy thing is? 1.4 million people, 1.5 million crazy. people in this country have this. In this country, And you yeah. wouldn't know. Wow. There's 60 million people. You've seen my deck. Like, diagnosed, yeah? That's the diagnosed, amount of people that are diagnosed. Yeah. So presumably... Diagnosed. Could... So actually 4x that. Well, conservatively. One, there's 1.4 million people diagnosed with bipolar Correct. in the UK. Correct, in wow. the UK. That's unbelievable. With no support or control over their journey at all. And that is what's scary about this. Just on the um, uh, like you said, you had like suicidal thoughts and, and and went to obviously a pretty dark place there. What was it uh, that managed to bring you back from that? Because you know male suicide rates in this country are so horrific, and half the reason for that is because men often do do what they say they're going to do. Um, and so what, what was there like a moment or something? That, this that... is weirdly a funny story. Um, so the first time I tried to take my life was on Putney Bridge, and. I'd been hearing voices on the train because I was going from my house, my parents' house in Pinner to my wife's flat in Putney. And I started hearing things on the on the Met line just around Finchley Road. And I'd convinced myself that was it. I've got to go. So I went to Putney Bridge. And about a couple of days before, I started... Say, well, it was about a week before I started saying to my wife, I was like, a girlfriend at the time, I was like... I'm, I'm not feeling good here. Like, I think I'm suicidal. And before that was, I, I sat down and I was like, I think I've got depression. So there's a period about six weeks where it was it was just a mess. She said to me a couple of days before when I said, look, I've got really bad suicidal thoughts. She was like, before you do anything stupid, just call me, please. So I got to Putney Bridge and I did. I called her. And I was like, right, I'm going to jump. And she she said, before you jump, just realize that the bridge isn't high enough for you to die. So you're going to be rescued by the RNLI. So if you're going to do it, do it in a better way. And I was in floods of tears at the time. And I was like, you're right. She's like, get off the bridge, go to the flat, and be there in 10 minutes, because she worked down the road in Hammersmith. And that was, she saved my life with that phone call. Same happened on Edgeway Road platform as well, about a week later. I just, again, these voices started appearing. And she said, the problem is, the trains aren't, quick enough there to do any damage and it, it was one of those moments where I was like oh, for fuck's sake. and I don't know whether I was actually gonna gonna do it but it, it got to the stage where I was like it was like a fetish you dice with death kind of felt good it's almost like it's pretty much like self-harm right could I have done it possibly do I think I had the balls to do it I'm not sure maybe but I was like it was about I, whilst I was very numb I was like quite I was, it gave me a bit of feeling to be like I could I could do that I still get suicidal thoughts now sometimes but I'm medicated for it and I get to reason with them and I understand it can be a part of the condition but equally I'm a resilient motherfucker actually now that's what I've realised and um, if I can come back from being on the edge of a bridge and again build another company and raise a load of money and convince investors that I'm the right man for the job when I'm not and then do it all again hopefully with baseline then I think anybody can do anything and what I mean, what, what do you feel the kind of journey look like? you're obviously now building a company that's about helping people with bipolar yeah. you know, at its core so what do you think is possible in terms of like where people can get to with their condition? 
it's very difficult to solve the supply and demand issue with psychiatric care. What do you mean by? Well, I mean, there's 400,000 psychiatrists to 60 million people. It's not, we've got a real supply issue on the psychiatry side. You're seeing that with the NHS, like the amount of people who need psychiatry. And psychiatry is the only way you can actually treat this because there you have to have medication potentially. You 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 don't have to have medication. It's your, you can have a choice, but you've got to be very 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 religious about spotting the signs and also understanding the um, uh, the wellness routines to make sure that you don't have these episodes. So it's difficult to solve psychiatry. I want to empower people with bipolar and their families to self-manage the condition, have control over that, see data. That's where I see this going. If you think it's like the whoop for bipolar, right? You've got all this data, which is giving you insights about your moods, so your sleep, your heart rate, um, uh, your HRV, etc., You've got all this data. Can we put it into such a platform where you can have potential predictive an- analysis of the condition? So I could get to a stage where, and I don't think this is far off, I think this will come about in the next year with us, where I could predict in two days' time that I'm going into a depressive episode and I can do something about that. So can my wife. So can my psychiatrist. Because then if we can prevent episodes from happening and also optimize and educate the sufferer and their families on how to prevent, then we're gonna mean it's gonna mean that people don't need to be either hospitalized or they don't lose their life and they can live better with the condition. Still work with the psychiatrist, but the psychiatrist is also informed about medication adherence, sleep patterns, um, mood stabilizing. Uh, what their re- wellness routines are, et cetera, et cetera. What kind of uh, bio- voice biomarkers they're using because with, with our app, you speak into it. So we can predict, we can detect whether you're in a hypermanic stage or, or depressed because if you're in bed, you're not going to want to fucking type, are you? Like you might, but you might speak and we can understand that. So it's all, all of this, all these different data points coming into one platform, one app, one platform that also help psychiatrists make better decisions. Because one of the big problems in bipolar as well is there's a lottery on medication. People, and one of the big reasons why people stop seeing psychiatrists the first time is because they have a bad reaction to medication. They don't want to go back. They don't want to go on meds. And they're like, fuck that. I'd ra- I'm better off just dealing with condition. Fact is you're not. But if we can help psychiatrists make better decisions with medication give them data around that you've got this really healthy picture of being able to accurately self-manage the condition in a way which isn't um frightening that's where i want to get to and then go into other conditions schizophrenia clinical depression but do i think there's a big enough business in bipolar to exit yeah i mean it's massive Massive, massive tab. And I shouldn't be saying this on a podcast, but yeah, like I want to focus on bipolar. The team wants to focus on bipolar. There is a huge, huge fucking market. That's where I want to go. Love it. And you, we spoke beforehand about an interesting dynamic when you and your co-founder both have bipolar, which obviously gives you amazing insight into this. Um, but everything you've just spoken about, obviously you know uh it does how how are you thinking do you think you need to balance that out like yeah. how are you thinking to the design around that really yeah quite. One. um i think that risk in startups and investing in startups is massive when it comes, you've got the conundrum of two founders with 
the same condition, which can be devastating. You have to have trust that they're looking after themselves. And I think my work and also Mateo's work in fundamental health comes into play here because we know that if we don't look after ourselves, there's no point in doing this. Might as well give the money back. So we actually have no answer to that other than we over communicate on how we are weekly and by over communicating we can support each other if we can't support each other we give each other space and one of us has to pick up a bit more slack that's basically how co-founding teams work anyway we just have we're just a level up right well, the good thing is, I guess you've got a product that should help with that. Correct, exactly. And I want to use, literally, I'm literally building, there is no better way to build a company, I don't think, than you're using your product because it's solving your problem. Oh, that's exactly where Unplug came from, for yeah. sure. So, so where, how quickly do you think you can have something usable? So we started the business in August. We launched a WhatsApp bot in September. I say bot, it's an awful word. It's not fucking WhatsApp bot. It's a WhatsApp companion. Built on a very low-level bipolar LLM. You've seen the deck. We have then bootstrapped an app, which we launched in the App Store, well, through TestFlight in uh, th three days. And it's very simple. Uh, we've, we've trained a model on bipolar, which has got about 14 million data points now, which is pretty cool. Uh, using GBT 3.5 as well, we want to get to a stage where actually the data we're harnessing is building our own LLM, which is part of the raise, with something usable in the next week. And that's quite cool. We've done this in three months, three and a half months. Um, we've had we've had about 300 people use use the WhatsApp companion. And some of the conversations like sadly we have to can be privy to them because it's on whatsapp but also some of the case studies are amazing we've got a doctor in dubai using it to uh, help patients with cyclothymia which is a rung below bipolar we've got a guy who used it to ascertain whether he might be bipolar having had wrong diagnoses and has gone through the whatsapp companion because we've programmed the companion to also have a am i bipolar like logic um and he's taken that knowledge and data he's then rebooked a session with a psychiatrist not through us but with another psychiatrist and he's got a diagnosis now no marketing other than my my pro so it, and that's that's just through whatsapp so we're bullish and i think for good reason um a lot of work to be done we've secured like pilots with the leading charity in the UK. Um, we're in conversation with a very, very big celebrity uh, about investment and endorsement. Very well known. Who's got it? Who's got bipolar? Uh, we're speaking to like four major academic institutions around the world to start to run pilots and studies. Um, but we're going D to C, which is a bit bold and brave in the world of healthcare because uh, everybody goes B to B. But we want we don't I we look at like B to B, and we're like everyone's fucking in these areas. Like that means I've got to go and sell to the NHS. Oh no way! People pay for this. People will pay for this. We've had we, we we've we've interviewed about hundred hundred users. And I think the price point's about £10 a month. They pay yearly as well. Yeah, like Obviously, it's not the same as Whoop, but use Whoop as like a, a kind of comparison, which is way more than 10 quid a month. I guess like with Whoop and other wearables and other kind of personalized healthcare, like the, the Zoe, and you know, that's obviously a big trend. Like things become way more personalized to the individual. People use that potentially to optimize something that's base level kind of okay probably your average whoop users like probably like relatively healthy and they're just trying to nudge percentages but yours is really something a little bit different than that right um but yeah, yeah. potentially way more life-changing right it's for like sure yeah
yeah, I mean, we've talked about like whooping wearables on this podcast before, and like uh, there's utility to them, but they're also like if I took this off tomorrow and threw it in the bin, it wouldn't, it doesn't like, do I need to know my HRV every second? No, I don't, but yours is something that you know, yeah, well, life saving. Right? I, I don't think people need to know their HRV with bipolar, but they need to know, understand like the predict the insights which all come together to form yeah, a, form they just a know that score. they're about to have an episode, right? Yeah, like it, yeah. How, how you get to there, yeah, is, it looks like you might be in a hypermanic episode. Like yeah. we also can use phone data so like how you're tracking like how you're flicking through your apps <coughs> you're up at 4am wow really cool you said you're about to become a father in six weeks did I hear that right oh petrified <laughs> <laughs> deep breath fucking yeah. hell terrified I'm, I'm kind of my, I've, my wife as well is, is like she's very stoic about it like I'm not I'm like this is going to change my life dramatically. I'm excited, don't get me wrong. I'm having a baby boy. Like that's fantastic. No offense women, but like I I I'm just terrified because I'm very like I love having my evenings. I like working in the evenings like uh, like just doing That's very natural though. Like Are you a father? I'm not, no. Oh, right. But my, my friends and family that are, right, yeah. say the exact, you know, that's all yeah. very, very like textbook. Uh, yeah. And do you know what a conversation I had with, do you know, you know Daniel Sorco? Uh, I don't know. Okay. He's, uh, he's runs Shipshape VC. And I was, he's just become a father. And I'm like, we're going to have a call about it. Like, I don't want to like, <laughs> oh, we'll have calls with other dads to see how they're like, f- no. But I was thinking oh, we should create a community of startup founders who are dads because I think it's quite lonely, especially in this game. Like, oh my God, it's hard enough being a, like, being a founder and then being a dad as well as being a founder. What I'm told is that it changes your life, obviously for the better, and it is the most amazing thing anybody ever does. Um what nobody's told me or nobody's been genuinely honest honest about how shit it is um and i'm waiting for that to come because i've had that pretty right. uh, <laughs> front legs my co-founder ben uh yes. has a child's just turned one and wow he uh yeah he, he was just like man it's fucking tough so he's it's a tough <laughs> yeah but he's, he's in a really good place now and he's actually like super excited for the next one now and i was having another one uh, not, not the, yeah, they're not not expecting yet. Yeah, even the big spoiler yeah. on the he, unplugged. There you go. The, the other day, he told me he wants to get shagging to five or six. Cabins, so. Yeah, <laughs> he oh, wants to start. Yeah. He wants to start knocking them out. But uh, does he? Wow. But it really, yeah. Like you realize it is tough. But it's yeah. you know anyone I've spoken to who's a parent also shouts or the mothers out there. We've been yes, exactly. One sided. Uh, the say that actually like uh, I remember Dad's one. Yeah, one 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 guy said to me that. Um, uh, nature has a really good way of like compensating for that, which is like the the rush, you know, the kind of the purpose, the fulfillment that it gives you, just makes up for the the shit night sleep you just had. So it's interesting, isn't it? Like you look from the outside, you're like, oh, I couldn't do that, but but to like the question is, are you more? You must be so excited, and the and the answer is no, I'm not. And everybody's like, you what? Are you all right? And I'm like, but I I don't feel that yet, like. Because I don't, sorry, sorry to interject that, but I think um, mothers, they're already a mother, right? They're carrying the yeah. baby. Whereas, like, Interesting, you're my about... wife, when I, I say, do you feel like a mother? She's like, no, this just thing in me is annoying. I want it out. And I'm like, <laughs> it sounds like a tooth. <laughs> but I, I, she's, she, she's starting to feel very, very different. And, but I don't, I can't relate. And I think that's, that's been, I've actually found it quite difficult because I, um, as you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm pretty honest <laughs> pretty, pretty honest most of the time anyone who's made it this far in the <laughs> yeah. episode already knows that just, I'm, pre- I'm pretty honest most of the time and like yeah I'll just say it how it is and my reaction is often some people are like oh god he's not excited about his kid that's a red flag I'm like oh, I'm just not it's, it's not it's not got the sperm tingling in me like <laughs> Well, well, I think that's very like I wouldn't be too hard on yourself there. Like, I think no, no, that's, no. Like, just, I know you. I'm actually like wishing it it come now. Sure. So I just want to get it done and get into that mode where I know, I know that from what well, anecdotally I know that once it's born, he's born. There's a complete switch. It's just you idolize this baby, and you feel this range of extraordinary emotions which drive you day in day out. I'm yet to feel that. I'm. I am excited for that. Actually, that's that is the one thing I'm excited for. That click. 
I hope it comes, otherwise I'm fucked. <laughs> what, what, what you said, Hector, though, is spot on. I think about the adrenaline. There's three parents talking, three non-parents, yeah, yeah. talking about parenting. Yeah. Any parents? Oh yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think from what I've heard, like the the adrenaline thing's massive. Like a mate of mine said, he genuinely slept two hours for the first three months, and somehow he was still like okay. Like he was somehow he's okay. And this is a uh, uh, this is a completely different point. But I don't know if you this might this is right up your street, Hector. I don't know whether you read that article about the Uruguayan rugby team that crashed in the like the Andes in like the 70s or 80s they made a film out of it oh are you uh, are you a rugby fan uh, no I'm not oh I'm a rugby fan <laughs> that, was, that was really niche <laughs> loads of them died and the, the ones that stayed ate, ate, ate the dead yeah, bodies yeah, and then they, they trekked for days and survived and one of the main takeaways from it was just like you have absolutely no idea the depth of adrenaline that will keep you right. And I was wondering where that was going. Like. We're going the, to the, cannibalism. <laughs> we're going to cannibalism quite quickly there. The, the question I was going to ask also is, um, how do you think your mental health journey has kind of readied you for, for being a, for being a dad? That's a really great question. You are actually paid to ask them as well, aren't you? That's a joke. Not on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> um, how is? It's given me an understanding that I have to prepare much more than I think other people do. Uh, with bipolar, we're already speaking to my psychiatrist about what this means and how we uh, potentially counteract what episodes could be on the horizon through lack of sleep, adrenaline. These are all big triggers for episodes, mostly hypermanic. So I might start another company at, uh, during that period, no, I'm joking. I won't. I actually, well, I'll speak to our pair about this in a second. Um, <laughs> but I think it's just it's allowed me to prepare more and be more conscious of what I'm going through a lot more than other people. A lot more. I can't say a lot more because I'm sure there's a lot of people who sit down and go, "How's this? How's this going to make me feel?" But I think through bipolar and that journey, I know that we've got to take different steps so for example uh my wife is the most extraordinary woman because she was like you are going to sleep in the spare room we're going to get blackout blinds everywhere you're going to have uh noise cancelling uh ear earplugs in and i'm gonna do all of the nights and i was like yeah and so she is she was like you've you need the sleep otherwise if you were in an episode god help us and i'm gonna then wake up at in theory five half five and take over while she gets sleep now yes to most that's just like well that's just night shifts well yes it is but we've had to consciously make that decision because of the condition and it's not worth me not getting sleep regardless of the a screaming baby or whatever we've also wanted about night nannies but uh, i need to raise a lot of money to to afford that so well, actually i actually got a, a really good tip from a, a friend of mine who who his partner is in childcare, and she said that au pair is the way to go it's much cheaper than a nanny if you have a spare room because you can you can have an au pair living in the house and you basically have an extra pair of hands a third of the time for a fraction of the price so maybe look into that one um, we're paying school fees as well from six months already yeah <laughs> my, my, my school my school fees yeah no we're, we're, we're going to be paying school fees from six months two grand a month so we're putting in nursery a nursery costs two grand a two month. grand a month it's like Rental. a fucking hotel though uh, i've That's never crazy. seen anything like Gosh. it but eight till six five oh, you, got that, you got that lined up quickly yeah <laughs> that was one of the things she was like i'm going back to work pretty quickly she's only got three months maternity leave and she was like i'm gonna lose my hair yeah, well, big big shout out to Abby. I mean, you, you mentioned a few things on this podcast that she she's, sounds like a she's sounds epic like a hero, and uh, she knows that I would not be here without her today. And she continues to whatever she sees in me. I'd like to know. We, we all would, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone fucking says that. We go, God, you're a turd of a man. <laughs> can, we, can we finish by talking about dogs? Yeah. Oh. You what love your dogs, man. I love my dogs. You, you mentioned yeah. it in the unplugged, uh, in how in one of the ways you unplug, right? What's, yes. Uh, yeah. What? What? what why dogs? What, what, why such a why such a connection with dogs for you? Generally speaking, dogs are better than humans. It was, um, it was a big mental health point, massive. I think, as well. Yeah. 
dogs are better than humans. They, they <laughs> big statement. They just uh, they are. Don't but, back it up. No, <laughs> they they love you unconditionally, and that is something which when Willow died in July, so I I had two big Alaskan Malamutes, and now I've got one. It's a fat smelly thing <laughs> I rescued. Um, when Willow died, I, I it's like a hole. It was literally like a hole ripped out of me because even though I'd only been with her for two years when we rescued her, she adored me. And other than the adoration I get from my wife occasionally, this was 24-7. And it is that feeling of unconditional love that it's it's very rare to get from, from humans. And also dogs make you get out twice a day. I'm in woods at least once a day. And when I mean woods, I mean woods near our house. That, you can't underestimate how easy it is to unplug from life there. I do work while I'm walking around. Like, I'll send voice notes to people and pester them. Uh, I'll just listen to a podcast or I'll think. And I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do that. I wouldn't actively go to a woods every single day unless I had a dog. And so, we're already looking at getting a second one. Um likely rescue another one that's a little bit older uh because i can't be fucked for a puppy and a baby and then we'll get a puppy when the baby's probably about two or three ridgeback puppy i've always wanted one we rescued two malamutes because my wife basically said i want a live teddy bear in the house and so she got two they are lovely, but they're they're just they're very very independent and like even though I ran a dog training SaaS business, like Diesel still fucks me off every day when he doesn't come back or he's like he looks at you and he's like nah I'd rather do this, but yeah, dogs. I would be in a very different space without them. You a dog man, David? Yeah, I love dogs. Yeah, yeah, me too. Love dogs. Yeah, big time. So two two dogs, a baby, a business, busy man. Busy, nice. uh, yeah. Two businesses. Two businesses. Of which I'll tell you about after. <laughs> yeah. Nice. yeah. Uh, well, listen, where can uh, everyone find you, collaborate with you, wish you health and happiness on the fatherhood journey, etc., etc. LinkedIn. I shit post a lot on there. Uh, Hector and I are part of a LinkedIn group that like, <laughs> likes each other's posts and comments on them. Yes, we are loud people. And... Um, you can find me on LinkedIn and that's where I share my entire life story. Um, and more, yeah. And Love more. it. Great job, mate. Well, a pleasure to have you on and Thank best you of luck with the next few weeks. Awesome, really. Really. Awesome. Really. Awesome.